The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olus Media. Olus Media. This Olus Media simulcast is brought to you by the Dear San Diego and Independent Voter Podcast. Dear San Diego. To me, Dear San Diego is a look under the hood of San Diego's high performers, a platform for newsmakers to come in and talk about who they are away from space in the corporate space, the people that are making news. We get to look at their daily activities, into their personalities. Who are they? How do they make things work? What's the secret sauce? Dear San Diego. So I'm happy to introduce our guest today. He's someone I know very well, one of my political mentors, someone who's forgotten more about California politics than a lot of people actually know, including me. Steve Peace, former member of the California State Senate, former California director of finance, movie producer, writer, co-founder of IVP, and author of California's top two primary. And I would say a concerned and involved citizen. Steve, how are you today? Great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for being here. So, Steve, you were the author of California's Top Two Primary. Can you talk to us about the inception of it? Where does it come from? What was the objective? And, and just, just briefly explain what, what it means for our listeners. Sure. The Top Two Primary is what brought about the uh, founding of the Independent Voter Project. Mm-hmm. And its purpose is, was then, is today, to ensure that elections and important decisions are made when the most people vote. And the most people vote in November in the general elections. In congressional races, assembly races, and Senate races, state Senate races, this is particularly problematic in the old closed primary system, which we still have for presidential campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, these, whoever gets the nomination of one party or the other party, election's over. The general election doesn't matter because most of these districts, over 85% of the districts, are either safe Republican or safe Democratic. And so our, our, our principal goal and our focus was to create a more competitive environment in which the voters would still have a choice in November when the most people voted. And, uh, and that often means in order to have a competitive race and a race that in which the vote is meaningful in November that in one particular district, it might be two Republicans. In another district, it's two Democrats. And we, candidly, at the time, envisioned it might be a Democrat and a Green in a Northern California campaign or a Libertarian and a Republican in in another heavily conservative district. It's a fundamental belief that you get the best democracy when elections are competitive and when the most people are voting. So the top two primary, I, I just received my ballot in the mail. Um, I'm a vote-by-mail voter. I think a lot of us are, are there or moving in that direction. Uh, and um, so explain to me, when I, when I open up my ballot, what, top two primary, how does that play out on my ballot? What, what does that mean? Whoever gets the most amount of votes and the second most amount of votes, regardless of their political party, move on. To the, to the November election. And you will note that on your ballot, all the candidates are on the ballot, regardless of their party affiliation. So if you're a Republican, but you happen to think the uh, the Libertarian running or the Democrat running 
um, or it's your next door neighbor and they know when you want to vote for that person, you vote for that person. There's no restriction. It's a voter empowerment system as opposed to the old closed primary system, which is a political party empowered system and an insider. So the old system, system. juxtapose the old system with the new system. So the old system, it would be a Republican and a Democrat moving on regardless? Right. The top, first of all, the most importantly, only Republicans would vote in the Republican primary and only Democrats would vote in the Democratic primary. And whoever was selected by their respective primary, where typically the turnout is 30, 35% of the voters as opposed to 60, 80% of the voters in November. So a very small number of people would select who the candidates are from each party. Mm. And, and then those two would be in the general election. And then you're in a general election where typically... 75% of the voters are going to vote for either the Republican or the Democrat. And so there's no campaign and it just doesn't matter. So half of the voters who participated in November literally are disenfranchised, have no choice. So you authored this uh, two primary system. Mm -hmm. And when did you author it? What year? 2010. So a better system. Um, well, at least clearly. One, I was thinking about it when he was talking about it. Like it would be like the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> and the San Francisco 49ers getting together before the season starts and saying, hey, how do we want to write this rule so that we make it to the this Super Bowl, right? You know, there's a lot of people that believe that is the way. I that know. That's works, what I was thinking about. That's why it, it made sense. There's a lot of people Don't start with a Detroit Lions fan over here on the, on the, on the hot mic. Um, yeah, I, I, and so so this system is better, but I think where we're headed here with, with today's uh, episode is is this system is flawed. Uh, that, that 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 you drafted, and and there's actually a better way. But you you mentioned earlier um, independent voters, and uh, but you just just sort of glanced over. You, you didn't. Uh, can you can you talk about why this is important for independent voters? A a number of retired political guys out of Sacramento, including myself, participated in bringing about the creation of the Independent Voter Project. We basically looked at the last decade of our service and saw the system failing. And, and I often say to people, what's important about the significant improvements that have occurred as a result of the top two primary isn't about uh, who gets elected. It's about how they behave after they get elected. And what we now begin to see is the consultants and the less scrupulous politicians embracing the tactics to manipulate around the top two primary for that very reason, in which we'll talk about some specific examples in mm -hmm. this year's election cycle. Um, so this was a, you know, a bunch of Republican and Democrat, former elected officials and some staff people, former governor staff people and whatnot said, you know, how can we, how can we make this system better? Now, what, what, what was it that we looked at? All you have to do is look at the gridlock in Congress in Washington, D.C. Look at the immigration vote uh -huh. and you see what we saw. We see politicians in service who are answerable to their primary voters, not to the general election voters. And when that, that produces gridlock, because if I'm gonna get reelected, who am I speaking to? I'm gonna speak to and try and be, imp and try to impress, if I'm a Democrat, the most liberal members the of activists. my community, yeah. the activists. Your base. And mm -hmm. similarly to the Republican side. So you have a combination of people getting elected who tend to be more extreme in their view, but more, less, it's really more a matter of the politicians get there and they are focused on re-election and they have no choice and they get stampeded. I can, you know, I, I know they were my friends, they were close associates. I can tell you over and over again stories about 
painfulness that that legislators had about feeling they had to vote a certain way and they knew it was wrong yeah but they were trapped by a system that rewarded not cooperating not getting along. look democracy is nothing more than a system by which we agree to compromise and live with things that aren't exactly what we want Mm -hmm. as opposed to killing each other (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a great point. Very yeah, well said. Yeah, uh, compromise is the art of politics, right? Uh, yep. The art of governing. Juan, do you know um, in California and in San Diego, and Steve, you might you probably know this, what's the breakdown? How many um, independent voters, how many Republican voters, how many Democratic voters do we, do we have? I don't know the exact number. I know in California there's more, and that's a point that I wanted to make, there's more MPPs than Republicans now. MPPs yeah. are no party preference no or party independent preference. voters. So there's more MPPs in California than there are Republican voters. Mm-hmm. That's right. something. Yeah. But yeah. look, it's really, the truth is when you get down to real people as opposed to political people and people that are active and paying a lot of attention, folks don't wake up in the morning and first thing on their mind is, God, I'm a Republican. Isn't it great <laughs> to be a Republican? <laughs> their party affiliation is a, is is very minor element of their sense of identity. Yeah. Our identity is more rooted in yeah. uh, our our. Uh, who we are in our occupations, our our relationship with our spouses or significant others, our children, our grandchildren. This is what makes up identity. And candidly, we're a little bit different people with uh, everybody. We're you know you as a father are different to your child than you are to me, and to your friends or your buddies or this yeah. or whatever. This is you know part of the reason why I was in the legislature. I got so deeply in 25 years ago on the issue of privacy mm-hmm. and worried about this emerging technology, and because what what happens in a internet world where everything is transparent, we have this kind of view that well we just make everything transparent and everything's great and it's wonderful. Well, think about what that does to who a human being is, and a lot of conversation about quote identity politics. You're you're when you diminish the subconscious selectivity we all have and we're biologically programmed this to present ourselves differently to our children, for example, right. where we have an authority role and a responsibility than we would to our friends and our, to our, our, our lovers or whoever they right. may be. Mm-hmm. I'm a ton, fundamentally different person with my mother than I would be with, yeah, with, with my wife sons, or yeah. my sons or whatever it right. may be. And when we homogenize and distribute all of the, everything, every little micro thing we know about each other, distributedly, we're diminishing those senses of identity. We're not enhancing that identity. Yeah. So for people who run for office, I often say to them, look, the single most important thing is to be authentic, to be who you are. But who is that in the public sense? You know, I served with people who were spectacularly brilliant legislative minds and did really good things for the public and were totally messed up personally. Hmm. And I, and I, then I, I served with people who were great role models I would want my children and grandchildren to um, emulate. Lousy lawmakers. But they were pathetic. And then there's some the other way. I mean, there's just, so these different things, we have these different skills and whatnot. So it's amazing in a democratic process and the power of people in the collective Mm -hmm. to sort out these things and figure out who do I want to represent me and make reasonably good decisions about things that they're going to know more about because they spend more time with it. Mm -hmm. And if we don't believe that, then we should abandon the whole concept of representative democracy and go to direct democracy. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So then we get to where we're at today. As you point out, the political, some, some of the political consultants and others have, have begun to manipulate the top two primary. This is anticipated. Any, any system you go, they will go in and try to do, so you have to kind of stay on 
you know, on the thing. It's kind of like when you, you guys have a lot of expertise in social media and the, the algorithms keep changing and you have to change how you do your messaging yeah. because yeah. the algorithm. Oh, yeah, there's right? always somebody out there trying to game the system. Right. So no where are we what, at now? We're now in the phase where, um, and you see it very graphically in the U.S. Senate campaign, where right now in this moment in time, it wasn't like this 20 years ago. It may not be like this 20 years from now, mm -hmm. but right now, a, the Democrat, the, the, the elect statewide electorate is overwhelmingly Democratic. Mm -hmm. Steve Garvey is a Republican, most likely uh, person seeking and endorsed by the Republican Party and whatnot. But he's he's not going to be competitive in a general election. Mm -hmm. Not in California. Right. Not in California. Not in the not in this time. Because and, he's a Republican. He's a very um, well known. Well known. He's got name ID. Yeah, former but major for a league baseball reasons, player. But, but he's but he's not a strong yeah. candidate. You can just go and look, look at the listen to so his the debate on the radio. Uh, so in, in the a general, general election, he's a weak candidate. He's, okay? he's yeah. not a strong candidate when, in right. the general. When was the last time that a Republican did well statewide? Well, how many statewide California? elected the the Republicans? The, gov the governor. Uh, none. Right. It's been a while. It's been a while. Right. And some some may argue. Steve Garvey is. No uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Yeah. And some of us may argue it was really Maria Shriver, the Democrat, who was the governor, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, so, the, the, so what has Adam Schiff's campaign done? They and by the way, this is the, this is the race to fill uh, Diefeis' right. seat. Mm -hmm. right. so, so you have Adam Schiff, who has the most money on the Democratic side. He's kind of the establishment corporate Democrat candidate. Good name ID. You have Barbara Lee, longtime um, um, uh, member of Congress, and prior to that, a member of the legislature. I served with her in the legislature uh, from um, the Bay Area. And you have Katie Porter, who I don't know, who served in, in Congress and, and now is running for the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, um, Schiff does not want to run against Porter. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some really simple demographic reasons why he wouldn't want to do that. We talk a lot about the difference in voting behavior between Democrats and Republicans. The truth is, nationwide, the voting patterns of men and women are actually more different today mm -hmm. than most of the demographic breakouts of Republicans and Democrats. The real divide in America today is between how women look at the world in politics and how men look at the world in politics. That, too, will probably resolve itself over time. But right now, you look at the data and you look at, you know, just look at some of the national polling. You can see it in the Trump-Biden thing. One th the one nice thing the Trump-Biden clash does for political analysts is to give you some stark contrast where voters in the – because basically – in, which is incidentally the exact same issue we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Americans don't want a Trump-Biden campaign. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, lots of Americans may like Trump. You do and hear a like lot Biden. about right. suburban moms, and um, you know. It's all right. Now, here's the other aspect of this: women not only outnumber men in terms of number of registered voters, but they vote at much yeah, higher yeah, propensities. Right. So, if you're Adam Schiff and you want to win a general election, you want to run against Steve Garvey, yes, the old white. Guy Republican, you do not want to run against Katie Porter, the suburban woman yes, Katie exactly. Porter. So what does he do? He runs tele, you know, television commercials that look like, for the first fifteen seconds of the thirty seconds, a Steve Garvey campaign, and then close it with a Oh, and I'm I'm a good guy too. Vote for me. And how do they articulate it in the starkest 
uncompromising context you possibly can. You're either a Trump Republican, right, or you're a um, doctrinaire left-wing Democrat, right? And, 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 and the, what happens is the consultants, because this gen whole generation of consultants understand the power of campaigns that are driven by turnout rather than persuasion. Mm -hmm. They've all abandoned even the effort to try and persuade people in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's about dividing people, making it simple, much simpler to do all the, with the benefit of the modern data analysis we can do. We know what magazines they subscribe to or whatever. You know, the, 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 the guy who subscribes to a gun magazine probably isn't anti-gun, mm -hmm. right? You know, in the most simplistic. So you right. have incredible. They so their know goal more. is to turn yeah. out their, their base. Yeah. Right. It's the most predictable and, way to run a campaign. And these right? guys know more about the voters than the yeah. voters know about mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can predict how that voter's going to vote before the voters even thought about mm -hmm. what they're yeah. going to do. So... Now we could, that's a Democrat example, statewide example. Locally. And, 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 and Katie Porter, to her credit, she's come out recently um, in campaign emails and press releases and pointed this out. Well, like, but like, it's in her interest to do that, right? She has to. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so I'm not, I'm not picking sides in terms of the candidates here. Mm -hmm. and, and on a personal level, I, I don't respect the consultants and the, and the folks that are attacking the system in doing this because it is fundamentally undermines democracy. Right. Mm -hmm. But let me give you an example on the other hey, side uh, of the fence. Uh, Katie, her, her, uh, she was recently quoted as saying, let me pull this up right here, and then we'll move on to the lo local. Um, she says here, Adam Schiff knows he will lose to me in November. That's why he is brazenly cynical. That's why this brazenly cynical ad he's running um, to further his own political career and boost a Republican candidate to do it. And just to get into the nitty-gritty of that, what is Schiff exactly doing? So he's trying to get Republicans to vote Republican. He's actually propping him up with Republicans, spending money so the Republicans wants, know that Garvey he wants, is Republican. He wants the Garvey numbers to make sure they go yeah. above the Porter numbers. Mm -hmm. okay? Right. Simple as that. This is a fight for... In, they, they, they're polling... Yeah. Right, it's about second exactly. place. And, 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 but, but, and I would... Here's, you know, candidate statements always are... are in the for understandable reasons are are taint, tainted to embrace themselves right absolutely so i would embrace porter's concept with dropping out no, not so much they know they lose to porter it's they fear they lose to porter right. and the garvey campaign's an easier campaign mm -hmm. easier win correct right so you go to a local heavily republican district which i happen to live in mm -hmm. is a assembly district and you have um i think two or three democrats on the ballot mm -hmm. and you have uh, a, an endorsed Republican, and 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 at the very last minute, Carl DeMaio decided to get in the race. Mm -hmm. So now you have a dynamic where you have a high-profile, high-name ID Republican, a Republican who's endorsed by the party and most elect officials and whatnot, sort of call it a, uh, a an outsider Republican and more of an establishment Republican, mm -hmm. and uh, and you have two or three Democratic candidates. Mm -hmm. Strong, district, strong, strong Republican district. Yeah, yeah, this district is zero chance of electing a Democrat right. under any circumstances. Okay? And the established Republican, I think, is a young gentleman who worked for Supervisor Joel Anderson. No, he works for... Um, worked for, I don't state think State superintendent, yeah. um, state, state senator, um, um, 
I think he used to work for Joel. I don't think he, he doesn't work for Joel now. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's established knows. He's on the Lakeside School yeah. Board. Okay. He, he's an elected mm-hmm. official mm-hmm. on his own, right? He's a Chamber of Commerce right. official. And, and yeah. Anyway, that doesn't matter who the, who the players are for this purposes. You have, you know, I have right here a piece of mail I got at my house. You'll say, right here it says, officially endorsed by the California Democratic Party, Kevin Jusa, right? For state assembly. Now, this is the Democrat, the leading Democrat, right? And I look, well, who's it paid for? Paid for by the California Latino Voter Alliance Endorsement Guide. Well, Latino, that, well, okay, just want to make sure, well, who does that turn out to be? Well, that turns out to be a committee controlled by Carl DeMaio. <laughs> what is it called right? again, the committee? It's not, it's not the DeMaio committee. <laughs> yeah, the California Latino Voter Alliance okay. Voter Guide, okay? So Carl so, is the uh, Republican candidate that's... Trying to pick his opponent. Yes. He wants to make sure the opponent in the general election is a Democrat, not a fellow Republican. Now, why is How that is important? How is legal that a candidate for office can control a committee that doesn't disclose that he controls the committee? Well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> you know, there, there may be some issues because, you know, I'm, the no, amount of mail in this campaign is mm-hmm. unbelievable. There are, some, there are a number of committees and with some rather strange disclosure information. But look... Real solutions for voters, for citizens, as opposed to the, you know, the people that are active in the system. Part of our problem is our election laws have, have created these things. In, you go back 25 years ago, money was given to candidates. Candidates had to report where they got the money from, and we knew who the campaigns was. Ironically, by adopting campaign limits, we've pushed that money into a bunch of independent IE-type expenditures, and we know less about and the candidates have less responsibility for their work product than ever. That's a, but that's a whole. I'd love to try to address that issue, and it's a hard one. I have argue with yeah. my wife about this all the time. She said, "We got to get the money out of the pol- politics." I say, "Yeah, theoretically, you got to get the money out of the politics. But what happens when you disconnect the economy from the pol- from the politics? And now you got a bunch of people that get elected, or a bunch of demagogues that are right. standing on the corner, you know." Telling, right. saying a bunch of nonsense because they're not responsible for what the outcome is. The, the re, people in the, that have to live with the real-world consequences of the things. I used to say my job as a politician, as an elected official, was making reasonably decent decisions with hopelessly inadequate information. <laughs> I, I always knew less about what I was legislating yeah. than the people that had to it's live with the It's tough, to make a decision where you, and you don't feel like be, it's oh, an yeah, informed decision. And every no solution, matter what decision right. you're making, yeah. whether it's about your family or your work or you're your, a legislator, exactly. I mean, you want to make an informed right. decision. And every so, solution opens up another box of problems, right? Which I which think is where is, we're at yes. today. Yeah. So exactly. this is why the Independent Voter Project, along with a uh, alliance of... 30 or 40 other national reform organizations Mm -hmm. have now embraced the concept of ranked choice top four or top five. Alaska just adopted this system Mm -hmm. last election cycle. Um, So let's connect the dots. So the author of the two primary, top two two primary system has seen it gamed. And um, you started the independent voter project which I want you to briefly explain to our listeners what that is. But, th- but that group, along with others from around the country now, is um, um, advocating for ranked choice voting, which other states and some other cities have adopted. We need to get into that. And other organizations, too. I know the Oscars use a very similar system 
to uh-huh. rank choice voting. Right. So right. it's not just like it's not the Democratic out of Party field. locally here. Yes. Uh, some of them, some of the mm-hmm. Democratic well, Party clubs. Let's be careful because voting. it's ranked choice top four, or top five. Yeah. It's a blend. So explain of, the difference right. uh, between the right what we so have rank, now and that and the ranked choice voting. Ranked choice top four, and top five, rather than advancing two to to November. The top four, to pick, you know, either system works. Top four, top five, I'm fine with either one. You move four or five candidates to the general election. Then in the general election, voters get a ballot, one through five, and they simply rank them, one, two, three, four, five. So what Sounds is, simple. I, well, let me tell you why. I've we, heard from, from some Democrats who say it's confusing, it, it'll disenfranchise uh, uh, Latino voters who who were just getting out to the polls. So is it confusing? Does it disenfranchise? No, it's only, it's it's the confusion is is perpetrated by partisan um, act Democrats who currently have power and don't want to change any system because wh- why should you change well, a that's system a mic drop if right you there. have power? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, and the Republicans yeah. would do exactly the same thing. Sure, right, absolutely. So wh- if you, you why never, change a system if it's never going to change us. a system, right? right. Yeah. So so here here's and guess what. Rank choice, pure rank choice without top four, type five uh-huh. is confusing and it is subject to gaming. We see it in the Bay Area where they have rank choice for municipal elections and it's a disaster. And why is that? Because and there's some really good hard science on this in terms of how our brains function. We literally, as human beings, process up to the number five differently than once you get to six. Okay, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you why that is. Maybe it has to do with our fingers. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But our ability to hold information and conceive of a ranking one, two, three, four, five up to that number is is literally uses different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. So much easier than saying rank 13, 13 or 14 or 15. Right. So we have people and there are folks who support pure rank choice and that's what they want. But you know what? I'll be candid. I believe the people have promoted pure rank choice um, and want lots of thing and use rank choice in the primary and then go to the, I, I believe, and this isn't all the people that are in there, but the, really the money behind that sure. is really nasty, scary people who are, whose agenda is to attempt to create so much confusion that they can elect people that otherwise would have no chance of getting mm-hmm. elected. And the dysfunction in the Bay Area is evidence of, uh, of, of that fact. So, but it's like anything else in life there. We, we live in a, in, in the, in a, in a, a reality of grays and, and, and pastels, not black, white mm-hmm. and bright colors. Even bad ideas have good features and good ideas have bad features. Mm-hmm. We learned through top two, there's two things I don't like about that two, which I authored. First, it's infinitely better than what we had before. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah, I would agree with that. No doubt about that. Right. But like everything in the reform space, it's a continuum. You keep trying to get better and you figure what, you know, as you prove things, you learn what the weaknesses of them are. Mm-hmm. Two weaknesses. We had an art, one weakness is a pretty simple one. Had an argument amongst those of us supporting it about write-ins. Should you allow write-ins in the November or not? And, and, or not? Um, Carl Munger Jr., who was amongst those supporting this, felt strongly you should not allow writers because he understood as an active Republican in the Republican Party that that Republicans would fund a write-in, right, mm-hmm. in the general election just to cause problems. Mm-hmm. He was right. But it also, I tended to be on the other side of that conversation, and I deferred on it, and I still think there's a problem here. First of all, I just have a sort of fundamental on principle notion that that write-ins are a way of 
um, disciplining the system, okay? Um, mm -hmm. You may recall years ago, I was very much involved in the Donna Fry riot in for mayor, which actually mm -hmm. we won. And, and if you'll recall, they disqualified votes right. because of they didn't fill in a right. – they wrote in the name and yeah. they didn't fill that. Fill in the pure dot, techni right. tech, pure yeah. technology. But she won in a very close election. She did, we but won, they we threw out some votes because they didn't fill in the oval. Right. Yeah. But they wrote her name down. Yeah. Right. So you're yeah. telling me a voter wrote the total the eye roll, wrote the yeah. name down, right? Put the old. Yeah, was ridiculous. the voter intent? Correct. Yes, That's what you know exactly. what I mean. Correct. Uh, so, and, hanging chairs. And again, I come back. <laughs> to, I come back to that fundamental thing. My fundamental belief is that voters, citizens, are the primary basis from which everything else comes. When you, anytime you divine devise an electoral system or whatever you're trying to do, you have to start with the premise that the power comes from people. It doesn't come from interest okay, groups, okay, doesn't yeah. come from politicians. You're not trying to, I, I, I laugh when I watch the national debate now where people are talking about worrying, and even in the context of this recent Supreme Court decision, the word insurrection, right? Who are we, are we protecting the institutions? Are we protecting the people? Mm -hmm. And how do we preserve a system that's orderly so that we avoid being in that environment where I suggested earlier where we solve things by killing people, <laughs> right? We have to have faith in the institutions to have that work. The reason why you have this tension, you have dissatisfaction, and I don't care whether you want to call them Trump voters or Bernie Sanders voters, they've all lost faith in this institutions. Mm -hmm. It isn't just... The Congress, it isn't just labor leaders, it isn't just business leaders, it's the Rotary Club. It's mm -hmm. across the board. And culturally, we have to come to grips with that. Right now, we're in the period of time and moment where, in my view, tragically, people have seized the easiest tool in political dialogue, which is to divide and conquer. Yeah, I mean, it's mm -hmm. created right. a lot of cynicism mm -hmm. against yeah. systems, including the voting system. Right. Mm -hmm. So, what happens is the politicians right. then because they get rewarded for that, take all this dissatisfaction and all the f frustration and all the fear, mm -hmm. and they elevate the yeah, fear. Yeah, they fan the flames. Right. And, mm -hmm. right. Right. So what, what we try to do, what we're trying to deal with is to get us to a place where the system civility. rewards yeah, I understand. bringing people. Well, you know what? I don't even like the word civility. But Because but, but, let me tell you why uh, I don't like it. That's a good one, because civility is a great word. Yeah. Because civility can be used to disguise lack of responsiveness to the public, too. So Fair. understand, and this is part of Trump's appeal to the mm -hmm. public. They understand this, yeah. this incivil guy. Right. And I think mm -hmm. one thing we can all agree with, unambiguously, is incivil. Right. And, but people are so dissatisfied, whether you're, if you, whether you're a person in an urban community that doesn't feel that the police treat right. you fair, mm -hmm. or you're living in a rural um, community environment where you don't have health care. Yeah, they don't want yeah. to hear about civility. They want I, a bull in the China right. shop. Yeah, so someone who shatters the system. They want an accountable action. system right. mm -hmm. that rewards constructive governance. So it's about an accountable system that rewards constructive governance. But connect the dots for me, Steve, if you will. If we move to a ranked choice voting system, ranked choice top four, ranked choice top four or top five, which means thirteen people run in the primary. That top, they they are basic, basically that doesn't change, right? People go vote. in and vote for whoever they want whoever to they vote, want, one and vote. the top four people advance to the general, the general election, election and are then ranked 
by the voters. But correct? in the general, then, are they ranked again? or are you no. just yes, so in the general, the general you'll, you'll get a ballot. You put one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four, five. If there's five in the ballot. In the primary, it doesn't change. It's basically the same as primary. Primary is the same. Open so now, if you, you only have five, in. in most races, five or fewer people will be running. Sure, sure. So mm-hmm. what that means is we save the money yeah. in, the, right, in all the, the stuff in the primary. We go on, and, it's, and it, it just happens in, in November, right? Mm-hmm. So There'll if five be a or few fewer races. running, then, um, then <coughs> all, there is no they primary. Yeah. They just go to the general. Automatically. Which we that. save money on the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, no need to have a primary. Right. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand, though, is how does... A ranked choice voting top four, top five, eliminate the um, Adam Schiff gaming the system to right. remote. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. How does how does that eliminate? Kate, it? let's take Kate. And we've Porter. seen it here in San Diego. We saw Barbara Bree um, um, shout loudly that Todd Gloria was trying to promote Scott Sherman. We heard uh, from uh, David Alvarez that Kevin Faulkner was promoting Nathan Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so this isn't a new problem, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is what we've learned is that the the and this is a coming together of reform organizations, rank choice reform organizations, top two reform organizations mm-hmm. that ultimately came together and said, "Guess what? If we blend our two concepts into nonpartisan, I should have emphasized that earlier, nonpartisan top four or top five ranked choice systems, we get the best of all worlds. We avoid the best criticisms of ranked choice, which is too confusing when you got 10, 12, 13 people mm-hmm. and too easy to be manipulated. We then cure the big problem of top two, which is, you know, if you make the cut, remember, you're making that cut to two with a small turnout voter. Mm-hmm. So it's better than the cut at one right, mm-hmm. in a separated partisan primary. But now we're going to allow the, uh, the general election voters, where more people vote, to select have more choice mm-hmm. and to make that choice in a way in which Katie Porter would believe that she has a chance with the voters to say, look, look at this negative campaigning. Look at this deceptive campaigning, right? Mm-hmm. It's a far more transparent system where the consultants have to think through and go, well, what's the consequence of my behavior? Right now, there is no consequence. It's a different electorate, first of all, they're speaking to in the primary. It's months away before it pays off. And the person that you've put off into the corner, whoever they may be, is gone, right? And so let's look at it in the local election context. Uh, I'm a a Democrat. I live in this district. Mm Kevin Juice is the Democrat candidate. Mm-hmm. I know that if I don't know the demographics of my district, I'm probably going to be inclined to vote for Kev- Kevin Juice. Now, but if I know that there's zero percent chance that a Democrat will ever be elected in my district, would I look at the Republican candidates? Yes, who are, I mean, it's uh, Carl DeMaio and. But it doesn't matter. Let's say like Hayes, one's a moderate right? Republican, the other one's an extremist Republican. Perhaps. I mean, I didn't want to characterize it. I might make my choices in a different way. The point is that I might make that decision differently. On a top four ranked choice system, Carl and Hayes and Jusa, they're all going to get to November. Okay? Right? Right. Now think about Mm -hmm. what the, the other value proposition of this is of reducing campaign costs. Right? There's no point in spending a 
ton of money in a primary election mm -hmm. where we spend the highest amount of money per vote in the election cycle by far because people are trying to return us in effect to the old system. Really what this is, mm -hmm. what you're seeing happen in in uh, the uh, to these two campaigns, one Democrat, one Republican, is an effort to twist us back to the closed primary system. Mm -hmm. Okay? And... Uh, yeah, I, and, I, and so, I would agree. Yeah. So if they're all going to get to the general, then they're less likely to. They're not going to be trying to promote, prop up a candidate that they can defeat in the in the general. They're going to be talking about themselves. Because there's going to be four or five of yeah. them. They're going to be talking about themselves and selling their brand. Yeah. Correct. Right. And and this is the other thing we know from both actual real world experiment as well as a number of studies that the negative campaign certainly doesn't go away but it's, it's significantly diminished because when you engage in negative campaigning in a ranked system, when the number is a small enough number of candidates for the voters to digest this information, the, when the voters have a choice, they'll, they'll penalize the negative campaigner. You know, we all talk about, well, why do politicians do negative campaigns? Because they work. Mm -hmm. They work in a binary environment. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. because I have the, I got no choice, right? But if I keep Let's just use the U.S. Senate race. If if Katie Porter and Barbara Lee and Adam Schiff and Steve, Steve Garvey. Garvey are all on the ballot and Adam Schiff is doing these this deceptive campaigning and Katie Porter is doing the same response, she, the voter has a immediate ability to feedback back. Hey, Porter sounds reasonable. That sounds like a reasonable complaint. Adam, I like you, but this is bad behavior. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to pick Adam still because he's my first choice, but I'm picking Porter second, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe I'm just going to pick Porter. I'm going to knock you down to two. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. You have a contemporaneous real-world feedback. In, or, in, yeah, maybe a Porter voter who normally maybe would rank Garvey second. Mm -hmm. like, Correct. You know, I'm really upset with how he's treating her, yeah. so I'm going to rank him fourth or mm -hmm. fifth. Correct. You know, I'm going to show him, yeah. you know. Exactly. Well, and that's what happened. That, I should have said that's a really good point. What also can happen is if you have the voters really, really, really detest right. the behavior of the campaign, boom, all of a sudden that possible one goes to five. Mm -hmm. And that is a big deal. So I'll give you an you know, I'll give you an example in a campaign that, um, and look, I've been around a long time. I did campaigns before I ran for office. I ran, for, I decided to run for office myself because I hated doing campaigns. <laughs> it, it was, it, I came to the real, it was not a creative exercise. It was more about picking winners than, than creating winners mm -hmm. and whatnot. It just wasn't very satisfying. I enjoyed being in elected office, but I was a terrible campaigner. I was terrible. I, I, I was good at, I lived in a, thank God, in an era where you had, you governed, and then you take some time away from governing to campaign for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. I hated campaigning. It wasn't good at it. It was hard for me. I sucked it up and I did it because I enjoyed having the opportunity and, and the privilege to be an elected representative. And I, you know, I got better. I was too young. I was 29 years old and I was elected. In retrospect, I never would have voted for me. But the, 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 I learned over time. I had, I had the incredible uh, experience to, to deal with folks like Jess Unruh and Ken Maddy and, and Willie Brown, incredibly brilliant minds and whatnot. I learned. I got better. And 
and and that's the way the system ought to work. It's a, it's a whole element of, of mentor, mentoring and whatnot. System automatic, because I, I, I agree, right? We need rules to regulate that, and, and, and there's some cases of defamation, obviously. Nothing gets to that. Top four ranked choice voting. If you, Steve, are attacking Tony, and you guys are going at it. going to get penalized. I may be the one that ends up getting Correct. the benefit, right? So. Correct. It's not in anyone's interest to get into a negative sort of debacle mm -hmm. if I'm just talking about the good things, my brand, right? Contrasting to right. you guys who are just fighting right. around automatically. Now, what, it, what it won't solve for mm -hmm. is that consultant working for an independent IE campaign mm -hmm. who will think through all that calculus. Yeah. You know, think about what this piece that DeMaio paid for mm -hmm. on Juice. For the Democrat. Now, let's say he wanted to do the opposite if he can get away with making it look like this is coming from people supporting jusa mm -hmm. right yeah and you want to affect that voter behavior mm -hmm. then from an ie and if they're willing to just make stuff up mm -hmm. as at least some of these consultants are prepared to do they can make me seem like i'm the one picking can, the fight with exactly yes exactly right so uh, ranked choice voting has been adopted in Maine, Alaska. Uh, where else, um, Steve? Those are the only two states so far that have state on a statewide basis adopted. Now, states? there are lots of municipalities throughout the country that have ranked choice voting, not ranked choice top mm -hmm. five. Yeah. And again, they will be nonpartisan races, typically, as we have in California, where we have nonpartisan local races. Mm -hmm. But... What, what, what cities have ranked choice top four, top five? There are none. There are none. So this is a, a, a novel approach. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's to fix the ranked choice voting that wants you to rank 13, 14, 15 mm -hmm. people, and which is what they have in San Francisco, right? Two. In effect, on a local basis, we've always had top two where we have nonpartisan races. Right. Now, years ago, 30 years ago, the Democratic Party and Repo parties in general were not allowed to endorse in local races. Mm -hmm. We stupidly changed the law years ago in California when I was in the legislature, to allow for endorsing in municipality. That was a mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. And why is that a mistake? Because the parties have become laundromats for money yep. that wants to influence political outcome and doesn't want to be disclosed. Yep. So a developer or um, a um, whatever business enterprise or a labor union moves a bunch of money into the Democratic Party or mm -hmm. other politicians who... They collect money for one office where, right? And then they move the money to the party when they're going down and running for a local office where there's campaign limits where they can't raise as much as they could sure. raise in the other office. And they literally launder the money. Now, I'll be candid. I think that's illegal. And I think it's another example where our, our prosecutors have just done an incredibly poor job. And it isn't because, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. P prosecutors, DAs, Whatnot have a hard time with politics, um, largely because they don't understand it, and they don't want to get into the, the the dynamic of dealing with it. We have this high, very high pro, high profile prosecution that's going on with one one of the political consultants in San Diego, which, if you follow the truth, will lead you to a lot of other people behaving very similarly. If a little more clever, being a little more clever about it. It'll be interesting to see if the district attorney, who's making a lot of noise about prosecuting a particular person, and who, not arguing they shouldn't be, 
all right? But the reality is the behaviors are, re are repeated by, and I would guess those folks would look around and look at some of the other folk and say, well, why me, okay? And why aren't you going over here? Why aren't you going over there? You know, I worry, I was born and raised here. I was blessed to have three kids, eight grandkids, they all live here in San Diego County. Californians in general, San Diego's generally, we've had issues about corruption and whatnot occasionally, but it's been local, for the most part, localized. The big external controversy going many, many years ago that was potentially would appeared at that time to be an infiltration of old style East Coast mobster type activity was mm -hmm. the famous uh, circumstance where the ownership of the La Costa Country Club came under the ownership of some shady characters. And we changed the charter in the city of San Diego to require the, uh, uh, the persons involved directly or indirectly in a transaction to be identified. And we had this high-profile case, 101 Ashwood Night, where that didn't happen, okay? And it probably didn't happen because somebody made a mistake. You know, and this is where things, you know, and, and the, and, but the folks that are sitting in DA's offices and whatnot, they know, everybody knows each other. And if we know each other, we're not inclined to believe they're bad people and everything. And, well, they just made a mistake. And so we kind of let things roll, and they go, and they kind of fudge this. And do the, Well, the problem with that is there's all these people on the fringes of stuff, and they see the mistakes not being corrected, not being re held responsible, for con or they're not being consequences. And then as those particularly new people come into the system, they think that's the way the system works. I, I'll never forget the experience of shrimp scam in Sacramento. I was a member of the legislature. The FBI, unbeknownst to any of us, came in, orchestrated a fake piece of legislation. And this legislation was designed to provide subsidies for raising shrimp in West Sacramento. There were only five members, 180 members of the Assembly, 40 members of the Senate. Only five people voted against this phony bill. <laughs> that right? the FBI created. That the FBI created. I happen to be one of them. All right? Now, I'd like to tell you that because by, you know, I just thought it was stupid. Why are we subsidizing shrimp? It was that simple. Now, I also looked and I noticed that the chairman of the committee had voted. I only saw it on the floor. It wasn't on the committee. The chairman of the committee voted against it, mm -hmm. right? My seatmate voted against it. I voted against it. Two other people voted against it. So we fast forward many, many months later, we find out this is a fake piece of legislation. And it's big news all over the country, right? And a number of legislators were arrested, prosecuted. But then, and including the assembly, then assembly minority leader, Pat Nolan, right, who was the Republican leader. Many, many years later, we learned, you know who called the FBI in? Who, who went to the FBI and said, you know, you got to run this sting? Who? Pat Nolan. Really? Now, how did this happen to Pat? Now, Pat has since spent some time in prison, I think, you know, found God and did the thing. He's doing some great work. And I said, but look, Pat believed he was going to get Willie Brown. He told Willie Brown's running this, blah, 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 blah. Well, Pat understood everything he was seeing from the outside. Remember, at this point, he's a young guy, just got elected. He's, you know, what's blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. 
he really didn't understand. Brett, Willie Brown's most brilliant legislator I ever served with. Now, I, I've been both on both sides. I've been with Willie's leadership, and I've been, and I was part of a sure. gang of five that tried to take on mm-hmm. Willie. But this perception that Willie was doing shady stuff is just wrong. Okay. And Willie understood how to play that perception. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but Pat comes into the system and he only saw the surface of, of Willie Brown, not the depth. And he ended up being the guy because he's replicating the move, so to speak, right? Mm. And he ends up being the guy that gets burned. Talk about irony. Mm. Right. Well, look, think about that in the local environment we are today. Because we're letting the perception of corruption, let's be blunt, the, and, and no better example than this sports arena deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are allowing the perception of, I'll leave it to others to determine you know, how, how bad it really is. Nobody's looking because you know what? Nobody wants to see it. The problem with that is as new people come into the system and we empower people who previously weren't Mm -hmm. in the system, they think that's the way. It should be. Yeah. 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 Pre-baked. I understand what you're saying. So listen, um, on Dear San Diego, we call it a public affairs podcast with personality. Mm -hmm. Talk to newsmakers like yourself about the news. I mean, we could talk to you for hours, Steve. You're just a fascinating guy who's done all this brilliant, brilliant work, uh, not just as a policymaker, as a a lawmaker, as a legislator, but you're a movie producer. You you co-wrote and and produced Attack of Killer Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. which is still a a cult classic. Uh, I think you, you... that movie came out 20 years ago. Um, people still talk about it. Um, but but so can can you tell us a little F- bit about 50, Steve P. 50, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a little, thank you, a little bit about Steve Peace, the dad, Steve Peace, the grandpa, Steve. I've, those are the stories, I think, that no one really knows about you that I, I'd like to share a little bit of that with our listeners. So, so what's what's fun for you that doesn't involve politics or policy or or, or, or voter reform? Well, I'm I'm as I often tell, I'm retired from retirement from retirement. <laughs> yeah, so thrice I'm, retired. I'm, I'm far. I'm you know, I'm not at all engaged, involved, or participating in politics at all. Haven't for years in any serious way, um, and and now even 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 more even more so, and some of that is ironically rooted in, as I mentioned earlier, I was 29 when I was elected to the legislature. I know exactly what it feels like to be a young person wanting to make things better and being frustrated with the inability of long time, this was pre-term limits, older folks who are just ossified in their opinions. And it isn't that they aren't smart, isn't that they haven't done great work, but the world's changed and they haven't changed along with it. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, look, the fundamental... This is a response to a question of me saying, yeah. well, this is why, <laughs> but it is, it is who he I'm is. Going, I'm going. Yeah. I extracted myself from, from politics um, precisely because I don't think people my age 
I think it's great to be in local government, be on the board of supervisors, whatever. But I'm 70 years old. The idea that there's 80-year-olds in the United States Congress and for president and whatnot is insane. I don't care how sharp you are. I don't care how qualified you are. I don't care how, what your life experience was to that point. There is no way on earth that the rea real world physical, mental, and emotional limitations that come with age sure. allow you to deal with a job with those kinds of stresses. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not healthy for the person who's right. there, right. and it's certainly yeah. not healthy for the public. So my... You know, I, my, um, 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 activity in Little League and and uh, uh, playing in a bridge club and uh, I played baseball and until I was sixty six, <laughs> played hardball. Good for uh, you. Or, or choices that are personal and and. Uh, uh, but I spend 90% of my time as an Uber driver for my grandchildren. And uh, so, you know, the I have eight grandchildren. They're all here in, in town, and they have, you know, lots of activities. My my uh, oldest granddaughter was uh, in a um, School of Rock uh, concert here last weekend, and that was great. And, you know, everybody's... I mean, but but you've, you've, you've managed to stay involved with... Public policy, this this independent voter project, Le yeah. less you know, less than people think. You know, I'm yeah. occasionally what happens. I is, mean, I think you found a sweet spot that a lot of people I think would be envious of because I think a lot of people have to make a choice when they get to be yeah. 65, 70, oh, 75. Look, so and, Steve is and, like I, like and you I said, think you have the best of both yeah. worlds. Yeah, no you're question. thrice I, retired yeah. from politics, yeah. yet you're still involved. A lot of people because we work in the same industry, they call me and they say like, what interest does Steve Peace have? Who is he protecting? <laughs> and so I always try to explain, I don't know if they believe me, right? <laughs> nah. I think Steve Peace is like the Joker in reverse, right? He sees a system, a good system, and he's fighting for it. That's his only thing. And if he's, if he's gotta bring the house down, he's gonna try and bring the house down. What are his motivations? Or where, are they, where do they come from? Whether you agree with them or not, I don't know. You know, if. I should. That's a really good point, though. You, you may, if I should die tomorrow, I have lived incredibly lucky. Oh yeah, lucky really life. blessed. And sure. I I went out and you know, in my John DeBello, and I you know yeah. decided to do this crazy killer tomato movie along. And with you and your wife Dillon. have three very successful. successful sons. I'll be married fifty years yeah. in July. I've married to the most wonderful person on the planet, who is unlike myself. Um, gra grounded. Rooted. She's a Republican, right? Yeah, she's a Republican. That's pretty cool. Uh, I wish we could um, dig into that a little bit. The uh, um, uh, and my my kids have you know all grown and successful. Their own kids and look, they face their trials and tribulations. I face my trial. We all do. Mm -hmm. um, I've I've had an opportunity to do interesting things and in leaving the legislature. I spent a number of years. Uh, working uh, as a board member of the Padres and working with John Morris and JMI. And, and oh, yeah, I forgot I about was, the Padres. I, I was chairman of the board of a little company. In charmed, Chicago. charmed life. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing that people know least about me probably is I was chairman of the board of a small company called Athenify based in Chicago for us. Uh, so I was on board for seven years, a chairman of the board for four. Um, mm -hmm. it, 
it was the company that invented the concept of dual factor authentication, which allows us to do banking transactions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we ultimately sold the company to the consortium of banks. Mm -hmm. Um, I got involved in that post-elective politics out of my interest in privacy and my concerns about technology. Um, And, you know, we're now in the throes of that debate as AI you know, comes in. Mm-hmm. I, I entered, attempted to move a piece of legislation, constitutional amendment, uh, in 1990, right around the early 90s probably, that would have put a, the, taken the existing constitutional, California has a constitutional right to privacy, which the, our, the framers of the American Constitution considered but ultimately decided not, not to include. Mm-hmm. Um, this was became pivotal in the whole abortion debate. The reason why the abortion conversation is different in California is we have an articulated right of privacy in our Constitution, whereas the Supreme Court had private had used um, different constitutional provisions to impute the premise of a right of privacy to reach the Roe decision. Okay, um, my um, concern as the very beginnings of the internet began to come and all this stuff began, and I was. Um, I created the California um, most the entire statute in California in terms of privacy rights. It's inadequate. What I wish we had done is pass the legislation that I just I couldn't even I think I got it out of committee once that made a simple determination that you own you. Mm-hmm. You know, think about this. My family owns the intellectual property rights to the term attack of the killer tomatoes. But I don't own Steve Peace. And we now see this being um, played out mm-hmm. in all this NIL the AI. And, um, and, and all this stuff. Who we are, our identity, is intrinsic to our happiness. And for me, and it's going to be different for everybody else, my happiness is rooted in grandchildren. I couldn't care less about my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're already doing formed. Their things. They're, yeah. yeah, they're, they're yeah. doing things. But now it's and it's and it's and it's you know it's amazing. Now everybody else, everybody's going to have a different arc and different thing, and that's the overall point. I believe then, I believe today, that we should have then and we should now, having failed then. Although it'd be very hard to turn the clock back now, if we had done what I was trying to do, and I first got this awareness of this, interestingly enough, from a guy who owned a company that specialized in approving credit applications for renters. He came to me and he says, look, there's a problem. There's a lot of bad information. A lot of renters get screwed, but they get screwed because I, as a company, collect this information, but my contract is with the landlords. And I have financial consequence if I fail to put bad information. There is no financial consequence to me if I if someone gets denied, right? But if the landlord allows somebody to rent an apartment, something bad happens and it turns out I failed to include information that should have been included, this 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 relationship is backwards. It should be each individual citizen who contracts with a single um, entity that has their data and that the sellers, the people, the businesses, whether it's the landlords or the, um, um, the retail, you want to get a retail credit, you want to buy a car, Juan Hernandez, who's your data provider? Joe Smith's data. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
and then they provide that. Now, now that Joe Smith's data is answerable to Juan Hernandez, mm -hmm. not to Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. Okay, it totally would have changed the dynamic. And eighty percent of the problems we now face with identity theft, um, just dispersion mm -hmm. of abuse, and I think a lot of these things that are, are happening in the social media space mm -hmm. would be totally fundamentally different if I had control. If I don't like the job Joe's doing, incidentally, yeah. I go find yeah. the next guy, right? So but we're going to run you for office again so you can go fix this yeah. problem. <laughs> well, wait, the tell problem the, tell the grandchildren. That means you got to pay a fee. They're going, yeah, door, right? they're going yeah. door to door for Grandpa Peace. But if that so, was the internet back then, now it's artificial intelligence. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's always going to be something. It's hard for politics right? Right. to keep up with how fast yeah. the actual world is moving, right? Someone Very once hard. told me politics. That's why, you know, the faster that pace of change grows, the more important it is for old guys to get out of the way. I, obviously, it's pretty clear that your experiences in Sacramento helped shape you, uh, especially when you were younger, 29, 30, 31. Um, but who, before that, who shaped Steve Peace? Your mom was a very famous um, teacher in Chula Vista in the South Bay. Uh, I don't know too much about your dad, but, but who, who, somebody along the way put something in you to help I mean, you're you're dynamo. I mean, you know. I mean, you're really you are. You have you have all this energy. You have a brilliant mind, and 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 it didn't all come from your time in Sacramento. Like, who planted those seeds when you were younger? My mom had a lot of influence. My mom, my mom was a powerful, brilliant woman in an era when powerful, brilliant women became teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember her always saying, and she was a high school teacher. And um, uh, and I grew up also around. She was a high school level teacher in at Sweetwater High School, which was the, in even in those days predominantly um, 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 Mexican American students. Mm -hmm. I grew up with these ki older kids around me, as I'd be dragged around, whether it was the end at home because my mom would bring a lot of kids home, mm -hmm. and I, and so as a young kid, I got around older kids. Mm. And you know, then my mom was a um, um, one of the teaching things. She was a debate teacher, and I got into debate. John DeBello, who uh, was my debate partner in high school, that's how mm -hmm. we, we met. And, mm -hmm. and that 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 whole cultural exposure to debate and the family environment I grew up in, both with my mom, my dad, who also was a teacher in the Alcohol you know, district, and then my parents divorced. I was w w incredibly lucky, and uh, although that was a shock to me and it was traumatic, but I also ultimately got the benefit of a stepfather who was equally as totally different guy. He's an old Kentucky Democrat. It's kind of where I learned he got, got into the politics of such very different personality, different thing, and brilliant guy in, in his own right. And so I had the benefit of two father figures right and, and, and this brilliant mother and, who... and an environment where debate and and was the rule i remember my my wife was just shocked when she walked into the thing and you know mm -hmm. yeah, and so here's here's one of the things I <laughs> what, if were, I, what were dinners like around the piece pretty crazy, pretty crazy. <laughs> and i and i will tell you that if i look back at you know my time in office one thing i didn't understand and didn't appreciate was because we were so open about debating and whatnot, not taking these things personal and arguing mm -hmm. and, what, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then the aspect of pivoting back and forth between humor and humor as part of an argument and all this kind of thing. 
again, as I said, I was only 29 when I got elected. When you go and you become an elected official, and suddenly every environment you get in, they elevate you physically, set you up on a dais, mm -hmm. okay? I would like to have gone back and done one thing differently. People mm -hmm. say, well, what did you do there? I think there's only one thing. I would do what you do. Some things work out, some things don't. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I would have had a better appreciation for the fact that a lot of times when I thought I was just engaging that energy level and being funny, Mm -hmm. People on the other end of it, particularly when they were, I was conscious of who they were. I mean, they were people I beat the heck out of were lobbyists. I, in fact, I often said, bring somebody to get paid to get yelled at, get in. <laughs> Nevertheless, there are, there are, I, I would have been. So, what's their regret? What's would the have, one thing I you would, would have, have done differently? I to have been kinder. There were times mm -hmm. when I thought it was all part of the repartee uh, of being that. clever, okay. right? Okay. Sure. When, when you add to where, when you're sitting there, uh, in your play, and look, there's a lot of in the political world. It's very similar to the dugout and sure. and yeah. and and a sports environment yeah, yeah. where there's a lot of rah, 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 you know right. and you know giving people a hard time and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, no, I get it. And and yeah. so I did not have a healthy appreciation for the fact that folks on the other end might have been taking things more seriously mm -hmm. than I was, and that or sometimes personal. people yeah. took me seriously. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't even occurred to me then that they thought I was serious. Well, for what it's worth, I've never heard I've, I've heard a lot about you, but I've never heard anybody say you were unkind. So, um, oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> so close this out, Juan. I can tell you a few stories. But, uh, we usually ended with uh, what we call rapid fire questions, and it's just you answer yes, no, this, that. Good luck. Coffee, tea. Coffee. What time do you wake up? Six or earlier. <laughs> are you talking about the you wake up just to wake up and go, or are you talking no, about wake waking up, up to pee? Waking up and go. <laughs> waking up and go. We don't, don't got to know about the other one. Um, what time do you go to sleep? 11. Favorite book? Anything that is fiction. Mm -hmm. I do not want to read nonfiction. Yeah. Okay? Especially uh, if we're going to sleep, I like this. I, exactly. I and and I and so, you know, I just I, Stephen King, uh -huh. anything you, uh -huh. you know. I've read them all. That's great. Anything you know. Yeah. Anything that takes you out of this reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. Puts you into a different one. Yeah. It's one piece of advice, if you could give one piece of advice for a twenty-year-old, a thirty-year-old, not even in politics, to be happy, to be successful in life, which I consider the yeah. What do you tell your grandkids? What do you tell them? It's never as good as you think it is. It's never as bad. Nothing's nothing's permanent. Life's changed. It moves on. Take take your lumps. Get up and move on. It's um, good it, advice. It's, it's the same mm -hmm. thing you do with the toddlers. They get up, they fall down, and their first in, mm -hmm. in, instinct is to cry about falling down. If you ignore them and move on to the next right. thing, they'll be over it mm -hmm. in you know in a microsecond. Mm -hmm. And 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 then you start u using those lessons. You, I I tell my kids now as their kids now move into the era where there are real risks in life as they get older, mm -hmm. that what you, you you hope is they have a few bad encounters. You take The most obvious one is driving a car. Mm -hmm. Pray your kids have an accident early, mm -hmm. that it's minor, because mm -hmm. they're going to be infinitely better drivers mm -hmm. uh, the moment after they have the accident. You know, it, the important things in life are challenges that come with difficult life's just it's difficult and it's far more difficult for most people and what we do psychologically whatever we're handed in terms of our luck or poor luck mm -hmm. there are lots of incredibly happy people living in inc unbelievably dire 
circumstances of poverty. Mm-hmm. And because their what their expectation level is, you know, rooted in that and whatnot. And lots of people fight their way off into better environments and others don't. Okay. Um, and those of us in which is the overwhelming majority, even the least fortunate of us in this country who are incredibly lucky, just pure luck of the draw to be in this environment, um, would do well to understand that our perception of what we need mm-hmm. is incredible, entirely artificial. Yeah, the, um, the point you made earlier about um, never too high, never too low, um, when Juan and I are dealing with clients who are in a crisis communication situation, we try to tell them, like, look, we know that you you feel terrible <laughs> and you want to put your head in the sand, but you're not always going to feel this way. You will survive this, especially if we make good decisions and we're transparent and we're honest. Um, but in the moment, it's, it's hard to see past that moment. Um, uh, I listened to a podcast recently where this uh, baseball coach said, look, these pitchers who never have any arm issues and they get to college and they're in a brand new environment with classes they don't understand, uh, kids that they're just meeting, and they get their first you know, tendonitis issue and they're out for a month, he's like, that's not a good situation. You want these kids to face adversity when they're younger so they can deal with it and understand that it's not the end of the world, right? And you persevere and you get stronger and you have that accident when you're 16 and not when you're 30. Right, and you become a better driver. But anyways, uh, you made all these wonderful points. I, I wanted to touch on a couple yeah. that resonated with me. Thank you very much for coming on, Steve Peace. You've been absolutely wonderful. Juan, you want to close us out here? Thank you very much to the listeners. And this is Dear San Diego. This is Juan. This is Tony. Thank you very much. listening to Dear San Diego. Be sure to follow and subscribe whenever you listen to your podcasts. To read the blog associated with this episode, visit olasmedia.com. This episode was produced in studios located in San Diego, California and Tijuana, Baja, California. Creative Director, Ulysses Breton. Sound Engineer, Alan Glespar. Co-Producer, Lena Alvarez. Executive Producer and Co-Founder, J.C. Polk. Our president, Chad Peace. Olas Media is an IVC media company. Olas Media. Dear San Diego's media partner is timesofsandiego.com. Timesofsandiego.com, Juan, has 700,000 readers a month. 700,000 readers a month. Thousand. You got anything that you produce that gets 700,000 eyeballs? I have. <laughs> not at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, and it's only, so it's only a digital news site, right? Correct. It's uh, online only. They've never mm-hmm. printed um, their product. And uh, that's really um, the editor and publisher there, Chris Genowine. Mm-hmm. That's what he'll tell you is one of their keys to success is uh, they're not wedded to the printed product like some of these legacy media organizations because print is 75% of your costs. You know, I respect local news sites like that a lot, right? They don't have the funds, they don't have the money that the bigger organizations, the bigger publications have. I think they do it out of vacation. They do it out of a feel of community. So I respect them a lot. I support them. 
I think our listeners should support them too. Absolutely. Times of San Diego is the only publication in Southern California that's featured on Google Showcase. Um, and because Chris, I, he's, he's a smart guy. He understands that my publication provides the content, but we're not the digital advertising whizzes that Google and Facebooks are. So he's, 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 he's leaned in to this digital universe where some of these legacy media organizations have not. Go to timesofsandiego.com, support local news, support timesofsandiego.com.